0: Thank you for joining us on the Lake Point Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people connect with Jesus in everyday life through everyday relationships. Be sure to check back each Tuesday for new messages, and we hope that you're encouraged by today's word. God, we're gathered here today not just to hear a bunch of cute kids sing. We're here to hand you our hearts. We're here to hand you some anticipation of there's something more for us in this world. And It just might be through you the sending of your son into into it, and so God, we hold our hearts open, and we want whatever you have for us and for your glory inside of our lives. We pray, Amen. Feel free to have a seat at this time, and I'm just thankful to be worshiping God alongside all of you this morning. As it's it's just one week till the big dance, right? It's it's really happening, and it's on top of us. And I hope you are, in fact, looking to God for your best Christmas ever, if nothing else. You can have your smartest Christmas ever. I mean, mean, don't you think we ought to get a a, a little wiser over time and learn a few things and just kind of apply that to the world around us? Uh, I was thinking that uh, particularly this year as I turned 40 years old. I'm hoping it's like, this should be my smartest Christmas yet. For example, getting smarter with things like sledding. Anyone, anyone go sledding here? Grown ups, you, you take your kids, grandkids out, not nearly as many hands as uh, there are people in this room, and maybe it is because you got smarter. Just in case you haven't learned all these things, I've, I've seen a few things and I've done a few things in life when it comes to sledding, and so you can get as smart as I am, I thought I'd share with you my top five lessons on sledding. You, you looking forward to this? You should be, all right, because this is really important stuff. Number one, locate all jumps on the sledding hill before proceeding downward. There's a hill in Muskego called Park Arthur. It uh, should be nicknamed the sledding hill of death. I kid you not, at the bottom of this seemingly 85-degree slope, like it's straight down, you get to the bottom, and there's like shards of... Sleds at the bottom of the hill. That should be your first indication this is a bad idea. But on a real snowy day, I took off down this thing with my boys on my left, my boys on my right, and some some joker already had put a sledding ramp somewhere, a, a jump in the middle of the hill, and I couldn't see it until I hit the thing, went flying, hit my tailbone. It felt like all the parts of my body just got spilled on the sledding hill. And someone had to put me back together again. So before you go down, figure out if one of those jumps are there. Very, very important. Number two, only take your kids sledding. If they can walk. (laughs) I don't know what it was. My wife thought it was cute back at age two or age three, whatever it is. But she'd bundle those kids up who weren't great at walking in the first place. And she'd bundle them up as thick as the abominable snowman and hand them to me to go sledding. Problem is, they, they can't walk well in the first place, let alone now with all that insulation. So every trip then you know that sledding hills are called hills, right? And, and so one needs to proceed from the bottom to the top in order to use this hill. And so pulling two kids up a giant sledding hill, two, three, I think I made it four times. Like, that, that was cardio for the month, Right. Christmas cookies were worn off. So don't take kids if they don't know how to walk. Number three, don't go sledding through the woods. (laughs) Did I even need to say that one out loud? I feel like this should be a a no-brainer. But, uh, hey, New Berlin people, you got Calhoun Park. And that's where I sledded as a child growing up. Little known fact, you go high enough in Calhoun Park and you can start sledding right through the trail that's weaving in and out through the woods. So my sister and I would always do this. One time sister made it off the track. Not a a good situation. Do not go sledding through the woods. Just stay on the hill. Number four, uh, don't stand in the middle of the hill. I don't know what this little guy is doing here, and I don't know what the dude with his phone and uh, looking for an Instagram picture or what, but uh, I, I was standing there once when some kid got plowed by a toboggan. It had eight people in the toboggan, and when it hit that kid, he about flipped eight times before he finally hit the turf underneath him. Don't stand in the hill. All right, number five, and this is probably the most important Do not lick the metal sled, (laughs) even if it looks delicious to you. This goes back to age four for little Brian Hoffmeister. I have a metal saucer. This is what I'm making my probably my first runs down a sledding hill with, and it's collecting snow, it's collecting ice on a frozen day. You flip that dome over, and it looks like the most delicious dome popsicle that I have ever seen, so I snap my tongue right down on top of that thing, And by the time I ripped the sled off, part of my tongue was left on the sled, right? I mean, I still cringe in pain thinking about that day. So terrible. Don't lick anything that's frozen. So that's my top five bits of advice for a smarter Christmas for you. Moral of the story is, don't take your kids sledding. Stay inside where it's nice and warm and eat piles of cheese till winter is over. Which is what I fully intended to do. (laughs) All right, well, today uh, we're going to continue in our series, and I want to give you two tales of kinds of Christmases once again, and it has everything to do with getting smarter, the fork in the road that's created, and how you approach your Christmas by the wisdom that you've experienced year after year. There's one version of Christmas that's seen it all, it's done it all. And therefore, it becomes easy to wrap up Christmas within the tight bounds of what it can and cannot be. But there's another version of Christmas that, in its wisdom, still chooses to unwrap its wonder. I'm going to take you over to the story, the Christmas story of Zachariah. Admittedly, if you look at your Christmas nativity set at home this afternoon, you do not have a a figurine of Zachariah. If a photo was taken of the Christmas picture, not only would Zachariah be in the background, he'd be so far back of the background, he's kind of like the, the, the guy way back there who's photobombing and you don't feel like he really belongs in the story. But the fact of the matter is he, he does. And I'm going to tell you how that fits into our lives today. I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible on you or a Bible app, I'll be there the whole time today. And I'm going to start with line 5. Kind of got the background pictures of these guys. They're not going to have kids. Infertility was their story for a long darn time. And now they got old age going against them too. So kids are just not going to be in the picture. Verse 8 Once when Zachariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lots according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, I need to pause there for a little bit to give you a little context. It was a big deal to be inside the temple. It's it's a much bigger version than a church. Uh, Back then, not only was God spiritually present amongst the nation of Israel, but he designated a certain place where he was actually going to have a tangible presence as well. That's the temple. And not just anybody is allowed to. In there, just a couple of people at a couple designated times a year, and and they had to be the ones that had the wealth of experience. They had to have the wealth of exposure. They had to be the ones that were like rising to the cream of the crop of those who are the leaders of faith uh, amongst their community. Uh, So so much so that they're like, okay, these are the people that we would trust to represent us to go stand and do the act of worship in God's tangible presence. That's Zechariah. That's a big deal. He's the only guy walking in on this day. Verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This is not something that happened every day, just because he knew that he was near the tangible presence of God. He's never seen an angel before, and so he was afraid just like you and I would be. It says, But then the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a figure, a great historical figure who brought the strength and presence of God into people's lives the, you know, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In other words, we're gonna learn the ways of God through this child, and most importantly, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Lord, Jesus, the birth of, uh, at Christmas time, that brought the big world change. The, the, the Zechariah's son is going to pave the way and set up the coming of Jesus for us all and what Christmas is all about. So, how do you think he's going to respond? How would you? We'll read on in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, what Zechariah is saying in reply to the angel is, I have been around a while, Mr. Angel, sir. And I've seen some things, I've done some things, and in the community that I'm coming from, they trust my experience, and they trust the exposure that I have in this world, and that I've figured out how this whole thing comes together. So if you are going to choose to come in and walk in front of me and, and tell me to break my expectations of everything that I know and my experience to be normal, you're going to have to come showing up with some proof. What do you think? Good call or big mistake? We're going to figure it out. Verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I think there's a reason there's a period there in that sentence. That, that alone was supposed to mean something. And Zechariah was supposed to back up. And if he didn't get it, he goes on to explain, I stand in the presence of God. God. In other words, I don't care about whatever exposure you got in your little world around you. I'm the one who's got exposure to standing in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and your rascal self. That's not in the Bible, I added it. And to tell you good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown favor and has taken away the disciples taken away my disgrace among the people. Uh, so here you have part, part of the Christmas story. There was this precursory miracle baby that was going to be born. And this miracle baby was the one who was going to set up the miracle baby. And by so doing, he was going to set up Christmas and everything that it means to you and I. But, but you, got, you got good old Zach, who's included in the story, who's just too smart, too smart to buy into any of that. All of his maturity, all of his experience, and he was tops amongst the people of his day and his time. And he uses all of that to wrap Christmas up so tight into what can and can't be that his imagination couldn't move any longer. I don't know about you, but I think that's a shame. And it's a shame that wisdom does that to us sometimes as well. That you and I and what we have come to label as maturity often comes at the expense of things that, like imagination and wonder. Does it not? I mean, no more fairy tales or kids' books for you anymore. Why? Because you're an adult now. Uh, Those ideals and values that you you used to wear them as a badge in your early 20s, right? Did did you not? I mean, I like to think that we all did. But not anymore. Why? Because you you live in the real world, which means that apparently we're going to go with the flow of what everyone else is doing and what it's been done before instead of standing against the current any longer. Uh, you, you got a finite number of resources that you need to manage. you got a family that you need to take care of. you got this thing called responsibility, right? And so that, uh, I think, it seems to equate out to whatever adventure you're going to have is going to have to fit into that two weeks of vacation or wait to the latter years of retirement. I can say it another way. It's, it's kind of like you got too smart for sledding. Instead of having an imagination of what an amazing thing it is when you can take an eighth-inch piece of plastic down a giant hill and scream your whole way doing it. And that was Zachariah. That was his version of Christmas. Got too smart. Got too experienced. He had seen so much from God that he lost his wonder and imagination for what God might do next it was so tight, it couldn't move anymore. Everything that could and couldn't be had to inside, fit inside the box that his maturity had created for him. And I, it's again, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's the way life was meant to be lived. I think as we mature, we ought to have a broader perspective of just maybe God might do more. Maybe there's something more for me to learn from him. You take Zacharias's Christmas now, and that, that's a tale of one kind of Christmas, Let's contrast that to Mary's version of Christmas. Uh, Gabriel's next stop after visiting Zechariah was to go over to Mary's place. And here's how this story goes. We're still in Luke chapter 1, line 30 now. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. But apparently everyone's afraid of angels because that's, that's his opening line with everyone. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, now before I give you the next line, I feel like we've got to pause there a little bit and just we, we run through these stories too quick. We're used to reading them around this time of year, but you've got to imagine just the giant hill of belief she had to climb. I appreciate Zachariah and, and, and Liz's uh, belief how hard it was to imagine that after infertility and after old age, that they were still going to bear uh, a son in, in that circumstance. But look over at Mary. And I think she's got the bigger hill of belief to take on, does she not? Not only does she need to do with that virgin birth thing, which biologically isn't supposed to work, but, but if you look at the promises here, she's being told that you're, it's going to be the Son of God. He's going to be a king like David, the greatest king ever. This is kind of like saying you're going to give birth to George Washington, but this is like a, like a whole other kind of, kind of scale, right? And not only that, but he's going to have this kingdom that was never going to end. So what he's going to do is going to make a difference in the world forever. Nothing is ever going to take away the reign of this child that you're going to have. How? How on earth? Is a woman like Mary ever going to believe that she's going to give birth to all of that? Now, let's look at her response. It's verse 34. She says, how will this be? How? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Now, I don't know if you caught it there, but there's a big difference between what Mary says and Zechariah says. Uh, well, let's put both of them on the screen. And I, I want you to see the subtle difference, but it makes a huge difference. It adds up uh, to, to something colossal here. Mary, so both of them have some facts that they're dealing with, both of them have some really honest questions, both of them get a Christmas promise in Luke chapter 1. And both of them are saying that these promises that I'm receiving from this same angel, Gabriel, um, are outside of my experience. They're outside of what I understand to be normal and and, and part of nature. But look at how their words differ from here. Mary asks a question. Zechariah questions God. Marius is curious. She uses the words, how will, in other words, I need more information. Zach's a cynic. He says, how can? In other words, he's asking for proof. Mary wonders. Zechariah argues. Mary wants to test to see if she's hearing God correctly. Zechariah just wants to put God to the test. And listen, I, I don't have a lot of time with you today. There's a bunch of cute kids on the stage today who stole the time I normally get for speaking here. All right, so uh, I hope you come back for Christmas. I hope I have the opportunity to tell you more, that this isn't my only chance to speak to you this year, but what I'm gonna leave you with today is a question. It's a question for you to unpack for yourself on your own time that I think brings together what I'm trying to point out today, and it's this. What are you doing with God right now? What are you doing with God I appreciate in a room like this today we come from so many different backgrounds and bring so many different concepts in of who God is and so many of us would, would treat God like he's everything and the whole, everything moves around God and other people just treat God like he's a possibility and that, that's all represented here in this room but God means something to everybody and so where are you at with God right now? And what is your primary approach to where you're at with him right now, to ultimately where you're going to end up with him? I know you got questions. We all do. But are you questioning God? There's a big difference between those two. I know we are all. Uh, all we all have some things that we need to test out with God. But are you putting God to the test? Very big difference. I I know we've all seen stuff, done stuff. We've gotten smarter in the course of going through life, but are you using all that knowledge to wrap up the impact of what the Son of God given at Christmas could mean to you? Are you wrapping up tight so it can't move and you just know what it can be and it can't be? Are you going to take the maturity you've accumulated over this lifetime and use it to say, there is still room for me to unwrap my wonder? right now. Good stories usually have happy endings. So I want to tell you how Zach's story ends. Go all the way to the end of chapter one, and you find in line 67, after the birth of Zechariah's son, it says, Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. Like, this, this is a moment where, like, God just has a grip on his life, and he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people to redeem them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The house of his servant David. This this anchor point figure. This is like the renaissance. The greatest time and glory of Israel came at David's time. And he says, now is the same kind of time right around me. Right now. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. This This makes a difference in my everyday life right now. Not just for when I get to heaven to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. I mean, God's like bringing it all back. God is real in my life again to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. going to get it right because God's with me. And you, my child, That's a man who believes. That's a man who came around at the end to unwrap his wonder. So much imagination of what was taking place in front of him right now because Christmas was there and no longer was he going to be the cynic. No matter longer was he going to be the guy who wrapped it all up. Instead, he was going to unwrap the wonder right there. And so all those words he said, I don't got time to unpack them for you now. But here's the two things I want to point out about everything that we just read from Zechariah. Number one, Christmas has something to do with the salvation. In case you didn't catch it there, he repeated that word three times. That's the heart and the center of where his imagination and his wonder from God went. And number two, you really ought to unwrap your wonder to go out and understand what that means to you. Use some imagination. The king is born. A Savior has been given, Christ the King. Don't, don't tie that up with your assumptions of what can be and can't be. May 2019 be the Christmas where you say, I'm going to unwrap that with wonder and explore to the fullest what that Jesus might mean in my life today. Let mm-hmm. me pray for you, God. I pray that you'd have a hold of our hearts. Thank you again for listening today. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we'd love to hear all about it send an email to info at The best way to keep up to date with all that's happening at Lake Point is to follow us at Lake Point Muskego on Instagram and Facebook. We hope to see you again here soon.